The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. It's time for Caffeinated Comics, a lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles. All fueled by the magic of Frappuccinos. And welcome everyone to another edition. In fact, it's the fourth episode of Top Men in Indiana Jones podcast. I am one of your hosts. My name is Elliot Serrano, Chicago's King of Geeks. And thank you so much for joining us here on uh, the Top Men in Indiana Jones podcast. Part of the Caffeinated Comics series. So... If you've not watched the show before, you'll find that Top Men is part of an entire series of podcasts, including the MCU Review, as well as Caffeinated Comics, um, the regular uh, comic series that's been going for 10 years now, folks. 10 years, hence the 10-year celebratory icon up in the corner. But I am just one of the hosts and I uh, want to bring in the originator, the founder, the proprietor of Caffeinated Comics, John Clark. How are you, Elliot? I'm doing well. Wanted to give you a shout out first, the belated Happy Father's Day. Thank you. We, uh, yes, we we dealt with a car accident. So I, I, I felt like it was the perfect, perfect way to be a dad, just managing crises and waiting to drink. It's, <laughs> I'm telling you. John, you have been having a hell of a 2023, I'm telling you. Um, if you've been listening to Caffeinated Comics these last few weeks, actually last couple months, um, it has been a series of dark, dark happenings happening to our friend John here. Yeah, but look at the house. I moved here. Look, look it at that. Moved. No. There's all yeah. Marvel Legends up there. There's guitar. If, as long as I never leave this room. <laughs> That's good. Well, you know, again, if you haven't been listening to Caffeinated Comics, there have been a series of tributes that John has been doing to friends of his that have contributed to Caffeinated Comics in the past who have recently passed away. And also, uh, darn it, if um, another thing didn't have to happen, the passing of John Romita Sr. And I met him once, so we can put him in that category. Yeah. So um, so again, my my condolences to you to you john it's, i know it's been rough it's been rough well well anything we can do to get stephen brown back on the podcast yes and all yes so um if you tell your smart speaker to play the caffeinated comics podcast not only will you get an edition of top men and indiana jones podcast not only will you get the mcu review but you'll also get other episodes of Caffeinated Comics where the uh, Stephen Brown, the original co-host of Caffeinated Comics, comes on with John to talk about all the things that are fit to geek. You guys have been talking about, uh, of course, the passing of John Romita uh, Sr. I uh, believe you got to talk a little bit about uh, Across the Spider-Verse. We were talking yeah, we're going to have to get into that in detail because you have you seen it yet? I have not seen it yet. I See, that's why we didn't do it with you. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh you you had another friend on to talk about why Renfeld sucks. And can I yeah. tell you something? Thank you. I was gonna watch it. No, but no I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> do not. 
anyway. it, it, that's the only public service I can do. It's telling people to not watch Renfield or Black Adam. Or Black Adam. <laughs> Adam, right. Okay, yeah. we, we covered that one. All right, before we get too off track, let's bring in the rest of the top men. He is the orig- one of the original co-hosts of the show that gave birth to Top Men and Indiana Jones podcast, just like James Bond was the father of Indiana Jones. Shaken, not heard, is the father of Top Men. And my co-host in that show was none other than Dave Pino. How you doing, Dave? I'm all right. How are you guys doing? Well, I don't know if you've heard the string of tragedies that John's been dealing with. So now it's more of I, I know the answer for John, so it's sort of a rhetorical question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you smile and you nod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we all just watched Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, so that's gonna put a whole tone on this. Okay, hold on. All right. Am I gonna be the one? Am I gonna be the one? All right, we'll see. And then finally, he is uh before our special guest, we introduce our special guest. We're going to introduce the official mixologist for the MCU review and top men. You can see his recipes and concoctions at Review Cocktails. That's R-E-V-U Cocktails on Instagram. We link to it here on the Top Men Facebook page as well as on the MCU Review page. He is none other than Tom Jetner. How you doing, Tom? I'm doing great, guys. How you doing? Well, we are apparently John is doing fine despite <laughs> the situation, but miracle uh, so question. But so yeah, we I'm go. well. I'm well. I'm doing great. Glad to hear it. Uh, Tom, I know you just added a new member to the family. We did. We added a wonderful uh, golden retriever um, thanks to uh, the Anti-Cruelty Society uh, on LaSalle Street here in Chicago. Uh, wonderful uh, one-year-old named uh, Dooley. He's uh, been a wonderful dog, and my kids are absolutely over the moon. Uh, did you I name him after the healthcare? <laughs> no, no, he was already he was already named Dooley when we picked him up. He's a, he is um, he's a I think my the my kids have already started to say his name. And once you get a uh, once you get a two year old be, being able to pronounce a name, it pretty much sticks. Uh, I think I said to the expression that it sounded very very Irish for this uh, uh, committed Italian American. So, uh, but I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, Assuming he doesn't narc me out for something. So, <laughs> wait, no, wait, was Dooley the name that he came with? Yeah. Okay. So you stuck with it. We stuck with it. Yeah. Okay. That's good. That's good. <clears throat> yeah. All right. I see him today, too. When I, yeah. I, Dave I, saw him. Yeah. I picked up the drinks from uh, Tom's house. He wasn't home, but his, his wife was there and handed me the drinks. He happened to be chilling in the backyard when I got there. So I actually Sweet. hadn't met him yet. I just knew him through photos and, you know, Meant things other people had said about him, but uh, I mean, it's hard to say anything bad about a golden retriever. So I knew he's, he's a good dog. Man. Yeah, he's a sweet dog. I met him before he went off to his foster home the same yeah. for the week before he, he saw you. So sweet yeah. dog. And speaking of sweet dogs, our special guest today actually has a great dog named Walter who has his own Instagram. Tom, you're going to do uh, Instagram for uh, Dooley? Mm, I might. I have to consider that. Have to. A good question. Yeah. Well, our guest's dog has an Instagram, and um, but not only, but he has his own Instagram. He was with us on a previous episode of Top Men, namely Temple of Doom, where he and I were the only ones that stuck up for this movie, our favorites. And I had the mute Tom Jetner pretty much most of the rest of the way because 
he was dissing on the film and i'm just gonna be dude i'm during this one i've got surprisingly nice things to say about all right all right (laughs) i will say about temple of doom now nigga going back it is the only indiana jones movie with an oscar winner in the cast there you go there you go well he is uh, a former uh, public relations person, for, for professional for Lucasfilm, and the proprietor of J2 Communications. Well, let's give a big hearty welcome to our friend, John Singh. How are you doing, John? Great, 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 great. Here's Walter. Walter wants to say hi. Yes. Hello, Walter. I, mean, I, was th- I was thinking that maybe Tom could just change the dog's name to Duty. And then, and then say she's named after you know Harrison Ford's co-star in, in Last. <laughs> ah, and you know once you get a two-year-old saying "duty," yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's that sounds like a great exactly. thing to add to my life. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, thank you for having me back. Well, thank you for coming back. Uh, uh, actually, one of the great things uh, I remember after our conversation about Temple of Doom. I will say, I think the conversation we had after we went off air was even more entertaining than when we were on air. I mean, there were some some great stories that I, I know you were saying, Elliot, I forgot to say this. Elliot, I forgot to share that. And I really want to dive into your experience at Lucasfilm because it's my understanding that you were part of the PR team when Kingdom of the Crystal Skull came out and you had to promote this film. That, yeah, that is that is indeed correct. I was I was at, at Lucasfilm from uh, uh, 2003 to 2009, and so this film was released in 2008, and it made for a very interesting time. Yes, sure. and I remember a lot of the things that happened during that time. So I do I have questions about it, and you know, again, um, feel feel free to. I mean, I don't want you to you know to to, to like uh, uh, burn any bridges or anything. Whatever you feel like you you know you can tell that's that's fine. But you know. I'm really curious. I'm really, really curious. Burn any rope bridges? Is that it? <laughs> there you go. You know, cut them. You know, with the with the machete. All right. Well, uh, Susan, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Lehman, as always, a part of our audience. Every time we go up, Susan. Uh, yes, uh, I watched Renfield. Why? <laughs> Sorry, you, you missed. You, it's because you missed uh, that caffeinated comics. That's why I know I wasn't on it. So you know, I know when I'm it's, not. It's free on Peacock. That's the only reason why anyone would watch it. <laughs> yeah, and I, that's why I almost watched it. But yeah. Um, so uh, whether you're watching us on the Facebook Live, watching us on the YouTube page, if you're watching us on Twitch TV, please uh, give us a like, give us a thumbs up, share where you can. If you're watching us on the Facebook page, please like and share these videos. If you're watching us on YouTube, I will say this. The YouTube page lies to you. If you go to the MCU review page and you land on the home page, it will say this page has no content. That's a lie. You have to click on the live tab on there and you will see all the episodes of the MCU review as well as these episodes of Top Men. And if you are listening to us as part of an audio broadcast as um, on the Radio Misfits podcast network, please subscribe, uh, like, share, uh, give us a review where you can help us spread the word about caffeinated comics and all the different shows in that. And again, one of the longest running 
uh, pop culture podcasts out there. I think John, you and uh, John Suntress right now, you guys have had them. You guys had the longest runs. If you ask maybe, me. maybe. And John, but John's only come on once. <laughs> so if he comes on again, maybe we can add both our totals. We can both add both. <laughs> Put them all together like they're collaborating. Yeah. There we go. All right. Well, today's uh, film is, yes, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, the fourth film in the uh, the Indiana Jones, what do you call it an anthology, tetralogy, quadrology now? What, what do we call it? Can't call it a trilogy. You got to call well, it a film series. Tetralogy. <clears throat> a what? I think it, the term is tetralogy. But well, when you get five, in no. a few weeks, it'll no longer be. Uh, yeah. It was a quadrilogy. It was a quadrilogy. Oh, yeah, right? the only reason I remember that was they put out an alien box set. Yes. Before oh, okay. uh, of the first four, and it was called the Alien Quadrilogy. I have that box set, too. Wow. Um, anyway, so what we do, for those who have never seen this show before, uh, we've been going through all the Indiana, Indiana Jones films, starting with Raiders of the Lost Ark, and we're going to be ending with Dial of Destiny. I've got thoughts about what's been going on with Dial of Destiny, and John, I have questions for you about that as well. I haven't seen it. <laughs> no, no, I'm talking about the, the promotional thing and all the buzz that's been going around. Okay. I think it's relevant to um, what John does. Now, um, before we get too deep into things, we start off with what we call our two-minute indie movie review. So what we like to do is uh, get the movie fresh in our minds, watch it before we come on the show, and then we compare our most recent viewing of the film to how we felt when we saw it the first time. Or if you didn't get a chance to watch it more recently, what are your memories of the film when you saw it the first time? So to start us off, uh, as always, I would like to ask our special guest. You've got two minutes to pretty much sum up. What did you think of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, wh whether you watched it recently or memories of it? And again, yeah, I would say just as a fan, you don't have to say it like as you were someone who was promoting the film. Well, thank you. I, I did watch it recently. I watched it last week. Um, I, I It actually took me three attempts to watch it. Um, so, <laughs> Uh, and, and I think that that was kind of the way I felt the first time. I, I had read the script and I was very keenly aware of what was happening pretty much every day of production, but I, none of us ever got to see the film. So the first time we saw the film, um, we had a special uh, friends and family, everybody at Lucasfilm got to go to uh, the Sony Metreon downtown San Francisco, uh, where they took over the entire complex. So all 16 screens were showing Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom for uh, uh, employees and their family and friends. And um, it was about 10 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. And there was going to be a big, big, big party at this cavernous party event space uh, in San Francisco. Uh, so we were all really excited about the idea that we were going to be able to see the movie and then spend the day kind of, you know, surrounded by, uh, Indiana Jones and, and props and themed food. And there was going to be a exhibit for us. And, and of course, George was going to be there and the whole thing. And, uh, we saw the movie, the movie played first. And then we all kind of quietly trudged over to the 
to the to the to the to the party event, and um, it was it was kind of like you know uh, you you were planning to go to a wedding and you found out it was a funeral. So um, <laughs> everybody pretty much sat, stood around, and 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 it was. I remember it being very 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 quiet for a party, and we all kind of walked around and said. What'd you think? And we all kind of said, what'd you think? And uh, I don't think anybody really processed their, 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 their reaction to it fully. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, it's, it, I, I think that it's a film that starts out really, really strong and is a complete mess by the time you get to the last 45 minutes and 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 I think that we had we had spent you know a year of our lives getting everybody excited about it and we just knew that this was not going to be the film that everybody wanted to see so that that's the way you still feel about it even when you watch it last that's week. the way I still yeah I think the I, I I was I was really surprised at how much I liked the first 45 minutes or hour of the movie um, it is funny. It was, it moved well. It's, it's entertaining. It's silly. It's, they really play into the humor of it. Um, it really captures a lot of the, of, of the feeling that you hope for. And then somewhere around the, I don't know, hour and 20 minute mark, it just kind of goes completely off the rails. So. All right. So you're the Tom Jetner of today's episode. Okay, here we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear his his thoughts. Yes. Okay. Well, hey, let's go to Tom, since we're it, since you're being passed off to by our special guest, Mr. Jetner. Although, hold off on the on the drink for now. Sure, of course. Uh, <laughs> I will. I will continue to sip it uh, as liberally as needed. Um, I'm kind of on John's side here. There's, there's the, the early part of this movie in particular, I think works a lot better than I remember it. Um, I think where it kind of falls apart in the late, the later, the latter part of the movie, it's, it's somehow it's, it's not quite able to kind of hold its, its focus or hold its attention. I think Kate Blanchett's villain just doesn't, work um and i figured out what it was the problem with kate blanchett's villain early uh and that was that um she thinks she's in a wes anderson movie <laughs> is that she that's 100 percent from the haircut to the wholly unnecessary rapier it just doesn't. It's like something that Wes would you would see in a Wes Anderson movie. There's no other way that I explain. I could explain it, especially given her her later um, multiple collaborations with that director. The th funny thing that I had was that I liked the Shia LaBeouf parts. Surprisingly, is that that's I felt one of the better features of the movie. Um, I can kind of be on board with the alien thing, even though I mean, I, I kind of was going over my head. I was like, is it the alien thing that's bothering me? It's like, no, because like one of my favorite movies of all time is Star Trek is a uh, Stargate. And that leads right into the whole ancient alien chariot of the gods thing. So 
some of the some of the stuff that that didn't work that kind of took me out every time they go into a dark place and uh, uh, makeup wearing locals like jump out of the dark at them they do that bit twice actually and I mean it was a, a unnecessary because if you're looking for bad guys hanging out in a jungle um, you could find communist aligned guerrillas wandering around Peru in the late 1950s, early 1960s. You could do that. Um, and uh, it, you know, kind of was just a little too legends of the hidden temple uh, at that point. But beyond that, you know, I think bringing back Marion is a great idea. Uh, I thought that the, the trying to set up the father son dynamic dynamic kind of works Um fairly well you know i tried to i was like oh boy you know they brought the alien out like right in the first part of the movie did they need to do that and this whole sequence doesn't really have anything to do with the rest of the movie but then they did that in the other two the other three indiana jones movies so it's just kind of a thing so i found myself with maybe less to complain about for the first three quarters of the movie than i was expecting or that i had remembered from previous Indiana Jones movies. And I think it tends to fall apart over the latter third of the movie, just in, in no small part because the villain is, isn't really that compelling. Dave. Um, so based on what John and Tom have said about it, how it's starting strong and then kind of falls off the rails towards the end. What I'm gleaning from that is that King of the Crystal Skull is the die another day of the Indiana Jones franchise where it starts <laughs> off surprisingly good, better than I, I, every time I watch it better than I remember. And then a little over the halfway mark, then it really starts to, you know, lose its way for similar reasons. Um, yeah. I, I don't remember the, the last time I saw this one, I did see it in theaters and I know I'd seen it since then, but it's been many years. Um, and I echo a lot of what Tom and, and John said, um, there's there's a lot to like and but then you know there's stuff that doesn't work especially in the last third or maybe quarter of the movie um one thing that sort of takes me out of this movie just in general is i love that and i know this movie was shot on film for the longest time i thought it was shot digitally but it was shot on film um the there's a visual sort of cohesion with the original three films because um they were all made within, you know, a decade of one another. There's sort of this, this layer of like dirt and grime and, and sweat that you could feel in the action scenes and locations. And I think they try to do in this one, they try to recreate that, but it's not quite there. So there's this visual, if, if you're watching the first three movies back to back to back, they visually, they fit very well with one another. But then if you watch the fourth one, it doesn't have that same visual sort of, um, connectivity to the first three. And I'm curious, it's, it's hard to glean from the, the uh, trailers and TV's Isle of Destiny if I'll feel the same way with, with that one. It makes me think about, like, in the, the Star Wars films, how the prequels were filmed uh, years later. And I believe, John or Elliot, you might know this better, was Phantom, Phantom Menace filmed digitally or on film? I know the second two were for sure digitally. I think Attack two. of the Clones is the first one digitally. Okay. Yeah, Phantom Menace, the technology wasn't there yet. Okay. Episode one still feels like there's a lot of real sets and, and the, you know, things were shot on location, even though, you know, things in, 
and two and three were shot on location as well. Um, but there's sort of that visual separation where the prequels were, were are theoretically supposed to be in a time period decades before uh, the original trilogy, but they feel so much newer, uh, partly because the, just the technology that goes into making the movies had progressed in the you know, 20, 25 years since the originals had been made. Um, and just there's a, an aesthetic that's different from the original trilogy. And one of the good things I'll say about the like the the Disney sequel trilogies, I think they, there was a better effort made to try to uh, recapture that visual feel of the original, of sort of that griminess, that lived-in universe. Um, so anyway, long story short, that, that's one of the things that kind of takes me out of, of this movie is, is it, it looks too kind of clean and and I know time obviously time in in the the films has passed. It's it's uh, you know how many years after uh, Last Crusade is this? Uh, We're in almost 18? almost eighteen, yeah, almost twenty years. Okay, so two decades have passed. So there, there's going to be within the film itself the aesthetic of you know fashion and automobiles and stuff has changed, but it just it almost looks too too squeaky clean for me at moments. Um, one other observation I had similar to to what Tom said is. I remember back when the movie came out, everyone, uh, maybe I'm misremembering, but I remember a lot of people hating on uh, Shia LaBeouf's character and his acting and everything. And in rewatching it, yeah, like Tom said, it didn't bother me as much. And I think maybe my personal reason is Shia LaBeouf reminds me a lot of my nephew now. My nephew, although he just turned 10, so much younger. And so... And I love my nephew, so I can't hate on a character that reminds me of my nephew. And David, I'm pretty sure also not famous anymore. Correct. Yeah. He, he, around was briefly, he was briefly famous when he was eight. Now, now that's uh, not the case anymore. Um, your, your nephew, your nephew didn't get drunk in a local Walgreens and have to be you know, like kicked out by security. Maybe I don't know. It's possible. <laughs> um, but he's, uh, yes, and I, I'm pretty sure the last time I, he just turned 10, I'm pretty sure the last time I saw this movie, he hadn't even been born yet. So it, I didn't make that connection until I rewatched it yesterday. Like, oh, he reminds me a lot of uh, Robbie. So, um, yeah, Mutt, Mutt is not as annoying of a character as I remember him being. He's not intolerable. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of intolerable, John? <laughs> I think you should finish that sentence before you get <laughs> over to me. You need you need to rescue yourself from that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was really interested in hearing um, the tone coming from Lucasfilm because at that point I was on the other side of it. I was a freelance writer and I was writing for Figures dot com, and uh, I was working with Diamond Toys, and they had the license, and there was this there was this palpable excitement. Uh, any any company that had a Star Wars license got the Indiana Jones license. They were really excited because not only, as we said in our last episode, not only had it been 19 years since an Indiana Jones movie, it had been like 25 since there was any product because Temple of Doom was a very small line. Last Crusade was nothing. So everyone was so excited about it. And I remember going to Toy Fair and the Hasbro reps were incredibly excited. And one of them told me, uh, we learned our lesson from 82. Yeah, we're you know this isn't gonna just die out in six months. Died out in six months. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, but there was this like um, welcoming back. You know, when we went to Toy Fair, uh, they gave us like storyboards for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And Elliot, you got mine. Yep. Uh, and I was in a Toys R Us the day it was supposed to release. Uh, I was 
like Phantom Menace, they were starting to give the dates that the toys would be out. And I went to a Toys R Us at nine and they didn't put the product out till four. So I stayed there. <laughs> I just kept looking at the bikes and I had an infant with me because <laughs> oh, I was like, I cannot miss this. I cannot miss this. And it was hard. It reminded me of Phantom Menace when I saw it the first time. There was so much buildup to it and you missed the franchise so much that uh, a lot of people were unwilling to admit it wasn't a good movie. Like for that summer, I think uh, for diehard fans like me, I, I was defending it the entire time. The biggest problem this movie had was that it came out in the summer of 2008 and it was looking backwards when Iron Man comes out right before it and starts the MCU, which we're talking about on the show. And then a month later, Dark Knight comes out and elevates the superhero genre. And it just seemed so far behind the times. But if I have a problem with this movie, I think, as we've been talking about, like, is it Shia LaBeouf? Is it aliens? Is it, you know, are they too old? The problem I always have with this movie is tone. It just feels really safe. There's no sense of danger in this movie at all. Like the stakes are very low. It feels like a television reunion special. Everyone's having a little too much fun. You know, um, Tom, to your point with Kate Blanchett, Kate Blanchett seems like she's in on the joke. You know, she doesn't seem like a real threat. And Karen Allen came out of retirement for this. And, th- and this was the movie that taught me that acting is a muscle and it, you can get out of shape if you don't exercise it. And, um, and I'm constantly thinking of this quote I heard from Spielberg not too long ago, where he said, all of his movies are made out of fear. You know, uh, like Jaws is the perfect example. It's over budget. You know, the studio wants to pull the plug. He's terrified that it's going to fail. So he just works and works and works on it. And he said, that's why none of my sequels are, are as good as the originals. Because I know they're going to perform. And this movie feels like, you know, it's like those Adam Sandler movies where they all go on vacation together. And nobody really cares about the movie. They just all want to hang out together. And for the other three, the the danger is such a big part of that franchise. It's part of what makes it exciting. And I, I think with, with that missing, you just have something that it's not as engaging. Well... I'm, it's down to me now, I guess. I'm the only one here who's going to be the, the uh, defend this movie. Darn it. <laughs> well, I will say this. I'm not going to say that Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is a perfect Indiana Jones film. I will say that, yes, there are a lot of there. I Even I had issues when I when I saw it the first time. I, if you ask me, you take out uh, Shia LaBeouf uh, doing the Tarzan routine. Which actually was in the original screenplay written by Frank Darabont, where he had Indy doing that, you know, swinging through the trees. And you take out the bit with the monkeys, which, if you ask me, cute. I mean, you know, it made up for the monkey dying in Raiders. I mean, that's what you ask me, right? That was an evil monkey. It deserved to die. It was a Nazi monkey. Definitely killed the Nazi monkey. He piled people. He was following orders. All right. We we talked about Marion. They didn't right. know he was in that right. basket. I know. He's we a... always talk about checking the monkey substack before you decide to drink with him. Check his substack. Check his social medias. Make sure he doesn't have any, like, too many common friends, you know, too many friends, like, who are part of white supremacist groups or stuff Make like sure that. he's not really into Jordan Peterson or something yeah. like that. <laughs> but still, I mean, I, I will say, I find my – I think I have watched Kingdom of the Crystal Skull – I've watched it as many times as I have Raiders, and I love Raiders. Uh, I will sometimes flip through, and it's like, oh, wait, you know what? I think I'll watch Kingdom. 
I can I actually have found myself watching Kingdom more than I have Last Crusade. It's just a thing. I don't know why. I mean, I just as a fan, and I mean, and I'm gonna John sing, I'm gonna tell you this is a thing that you guys were good at. You stoked that anticipation for me. Look, let me I and let me give you some exhibits here, folks. For those who are watching the video, you'll have the benefit of this. If you're listening to the podcast audio, you're gonna miss out a lot of the visuals here. But I was at San Diego Comic Con when uh when Indie 4 was announced, and I stood in line to get one of these Marshall College staff t-shirts, uh, archaeology, Department of Archaeology t-shirts, okay? Did you did you come up with this idea, John? I don't, I remember, I remember that, but I don't remember who, who no, it wouldn't have been me, but it, I would have been the marketing team, but I don't, yeah. All I know is they, brilliant, because I stood in line for a long time for, waiting for this shirt, okay? I got the this Drew Struzan um poster that was that one. this yeah. was this was before they even said what the name of the movie was going to be or what the theme oh, I forgot was. about that one yeah right um and yeah uh, uh I didn't want to be- I, I this the t-shirt that I'm wearing now the where this would happen right after they announced the the, the title of the film you had you had to go to the well this was back when uh starwars.com had its own shop you went to the website and got your, uh, you know, if you want to get the Indiana Jones t-shirt. So I got this one in a uh, black ringer. Uh, my my ex-wife got me the, the black one. Um, I was all over the board. Folks, I got the freaking Burger King uh, toys, you know, to get the, 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 the have, folks, I have the pen here, the secret uh, invisible ink pen with the little Indiana Jones faux love leather cover. Right, but none of that was for the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. No, this is Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh, it says it right there. Is it, does it? Does yeah. it have? Does it have any? It doesn't have anything about the movie. No, it does not. Yeah, Although it had the little. It's about, little... it's about the Indiana Jones brand. Exactly, because yeah. then they also had the. I also got the uh, Temple of Doom uh, Indy car jumps the track. There was a little ramp thing that he could jump. I got one of those too. Uh, right, but yeah, that's that was... a good point, John. When because it had been such a dormant franchise, when they brought it back, they brought everything back. Yeah, and that was that was a huge part of what our job was. Was um, so so the the way that that kind of we split things was that George's George's line was always um, this is this is Stephen's film, whatever Stephen wants to do, and Stephen's film was released by Paramount picture so so paramount got to kind of um largely lead what the um campaign was going to look like for the film itself lucasfilm was leading the campaign largely for uh indiana jones and the franchise leading up to uh the release of the film so a huge part of what i was doing um was 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 things like trying to trying to um, uh, build up anticipation, excitement, awareness of Indiana Jones. Um, so this one says Indiana Jones return. Oh, this one says Indiana Jones returns. Uh, we don't. This is as you said, uh, Elliot. This is before we even had the title. So we were doing a lot of stuff to um, creating a lot of materials to. Uh, remind people where Indiana Jones had been, what he had done, what he had seen, what his adventures had been, and what the movies were like. 
because this was uh, 19 years since the last movie. And I think that we're in a position right now where that's arguably um, the worry that I have, that nobody has really um, spent a lot of time kind of trying to stoke the fan, the, the fan flames here on this one. Um, there's a certain, there's a certain uh, taken for granted of what Indiana Jones is and that people know Indiana Jones failing to remember or, or to care maybe that the first one was 43 years ago and that the last one, you know, was, was 15 years ago. Um, these are not insignificant periods of time. So uh, the core movie going audience, you know, 18, 19, 20 year old people don't remember the last one coming out. And to your point, John, they've grown up with the MCU. They've grown up with, 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 uh, with uh, the, the DC films, they've grown up with Fast and Furious, they've grown up with uh, all sorts of films that fill the gap that Indiana Jones uh, was filling uh, solely when, when, when the first film came out. And there, were, there was also a slew of films that were influenced. You know, you had The Mummy, yeah. you had Tomb Raider, you had all of these adventure films that were based on Indiana Jones while he was gone whenever i watch crystal mentioned stargate and there's certainly a direct a, a direct line between stargate and indian jones so yeah and whenever i watch crystal skull it's it's the frustration comes back to me as like why is this the fourth one why isn't this the seventh one you know all i know how fr- i know how hard it was to get each one of these made but as a franchise they built it to be bond and dave you know like bond doesn't go too many years without another one and obviously you want Harrison Ford to remain Indiana Jones. You don't want to be bonded and recast him, but it's like well, the fact that we went to the entire nineties without a single film. Yeah. So I, I agree with all of that, but I think that that, that was that all of that was on our mind and all of that was something we knew and, and, and the way we wanted to combat that from Lucasfilm, which as you know, um, uh, controlled, uh, the, the, the licensing, the, the the games, the book publishing, um, anything to do with Indiana Jones outside of what is actually on screen um, was our purview. And we were very, very, very aware that um, a lot had happened in, in the entertainment landscape since the people last saw Indiana Jones. And we had to go back and 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 remind people of that and, and, and educate them because there's there's a certain fan base like like our age that is uh, very uh, aware of the films and has never lost its 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 uh, uh, interest in them. But in the ensuing years, entire new generations have come up and they don't know these films as as movie experiences. And I think that that's uh, that that's what that's that's what we were tasked with changing. And um, I, I, I do wonder if that's what may be about to go wrong this time. You know, thank you for bringing that up, John. Because first, I do have, I have some questions I wanted to ask you about the promotional campaign for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, how it compares to what's been going on now with Dial of Destiny. Uh, but I want to put a pin in that right now because... Uh, 
we're hitting the 40 mark here and we have yet to talk about our themed drink for the movie. So, uh, Tom, you did create a cocktail uh, to kind of, you know, uh, 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 commemorate this one. Uh, why don't you tell us about it while I call it up on uh, the ins uh, on the old uh, on the old uh, Instagram. Instagram, yes. Well, um, so being this is the the Crystal Skull movie, this was an opportunity to do another clarified cocktail. Uh, I talked about the milk clarification process when we talked about uh, Captain Marvel on the MCU review. If you go back to that episode, it's with uh, Julie DeCaro as our guest. Um, so I talked about the whole milk clarification process that time. I'm not going to go into it a second time. It's surprisingly easy. It's laid out on the Instagram page. Please go check it out. Um, but this is another opportunity to experiment with a different spirit. And in this case, since we go to Peru, um, there Peru does have a local spirit that's very famous called Pisco. Pisco is a type of brandy that's made from uh, grapes that are grown in South America. Um, it's usually clear. You can get aged Pisco, but most of the ones that I was seeing are, are um, don't have a lot of age on them. Uh, it has a, uh, an, a very interesting flavor compared to more aged brandies you get here in the States and, and compared with cognac. Uh, but I effectively made a, uh, a something of a Pisco sidecar. Uh, and that involved uh, using orange liqueur uh, as a sweetener along with my citrus. And also added in uh, some uh, cinnamon and allspice uh, to reference uh, another related drink called the cable car, which uses spice drum. So I wanted to get a little bit of the spices in there um, and then ran it through the clarification process, got it mostly clear and then added uh, a drop of blue food coloring, food safe food coloring uh, to get that uh, color. I used uh, crushed ice the first time. I would not recommend it because I'm having mine today over a big rock. It's much better over. It looks one. It just looks better. Uh, you get more of that kind of pale blue rather than the uh, the icy uh, or slushy from the movie theater uh, look. And also it's less diluted. So uh, I think the flavors shine a lot brighter uh, if you either have it on a, a big rock or just some, reg some small regular cubes. So, uh, Dave, I man you managed to get yours today. What's the uh, what's the review on the tasting here? This is another winner, my friend. There's a. Uh... Um, I was hoping you'd explain what Pisco is because I was going through the, the list of ingredients and that was the one thing I didn't recognize. Um, but there's a lot of interesting flavors going on here. There's sweet tart. There's a little bit of that sort of uh, whiskey burn, you know, as, as it goes down your throat. And it's a, of course, it's a beautiful looking drink as well. So I was actually going to ask if when you made it, if you had used the food coloring or actually did the, the blue curacao because, uh, if I ever try to remake this myself, I'll probably do the, the Curacao route. So there's, there is, uh, I used my, uh, my regular Pierre Ferrand, um, Curacao, which is, um, uh, which is made with uh, French brandy. Um, it's hard to find blue Curacao that gives the type of rich flavor that you're going to get. I've heard that there's one particular brand that does a really good job. Then the name is currently escaping me. But there is a particular brand I can try to figure what it what what it is um, 
that does do a good job of making blue uh, supposedly allegedly i haven't tried it um but uh using the old uh you know blue number five um works just as well i mean all blue curacao is 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 regular curacao with blue blue dye that's it there's no change in the formula they just dye it that color to make it look tropical and fun so but the nice thing about pisco is if you do buy a bottle of it to make this drink you can then save it and it can make a pisco sour um which is just a straight sour cocktail with uh, egg white and a little angostura bitters and that i had one last night to kind of finish off after i made this drink uh to kind of finish off crystal skull and that was very enjoyable it's a great summer drink so uh by all means if you're looking for uses for the rest of that bottle that's a great use for it um, my brother's wife, I guess that would make her my sister-in-law, yeah, is Peruvian, and I remember going to their wedding. Their family actually has a, owns a Peruvian restaurant here in Chicago. I went to the wedding, which was held at the restaurant, and I had many, many piscos with her father. So, yes, it wasn't like this one. This is a variation on it, but let's just say um, you'll you'll have a good time. Uh, have enough of these you'll you'll be having a good time <laughs> definitely it's it's a very very nice spirit it's the first time i've ever had it is very nice it's it's a, a much different flavor than than regular brandy but it's very nice so again folks uh you can go to instagram at uh and go to instagram.com slash revu cocktails you can see all the cocktails that tom has created for the Top Men podcast, as well as for the MCU review, along with a few extra things that you've thrown in there from time to time. Um, and then, uh, as always, Tom, we appreciate the efforts that you make um, doing this. I think we're the only podcast where we make custom cocktails based on the movie we're talking about. We're also the only podcast that has various difficulties with logistics trying to get the cocktails to all the hosts at a given time. And uh, one uh, way, someday we'll figure out a way to get it to our, even our guests. Guests, yes, exactly. Yes, yes. It's, if the guests that whole liquor over there. state lines thing, the whole <laughs> liquor over state lines. Well, of course, none of this is sold. I'm, I'm, I take care of all of this in house. Um, but uh, let's see, John, I have yours in uh, sitting in my fridge in downtown Chicago. Uh, Dave has Elliot's. Um, but uh, this is uh, this is a milk punch, so it, it keeps. You don't have to worry about it. Hopefully, John can oh, yes. enjoy. John will and Elliot I, can enjoy. Oh, Elliot. Elliot, will I be seeing you tomorrow? Uh, probably not tomorrow, but on Wednesday when uh, actually John and I will be having lunch. Yeah, to join us. Great. You owe, you owe me a short round. Yeah, I have your short round. Yes, <laughs> I have your short round retro figure. And John uh, Singh, you're going to hear me lamenting about that right now. Okay. Uh, we'll, we can talk a little bit more about the movie. I do want uh, hold on to your thoughts about the movie, but I, I do want to bring up a couple things here. And it's very rare that we get to talk to someone who was with Lucasfilm as this movie was coming out. And I got to tell you, John, I know you had some challenges even beyond just trying to get Indiana Jones back into the public consciousness, as I say. Because if I remember, because I really followed the pre-production of Indy 4. I'm talking, this was a movie that I've been waiting for forever. Okay? I, I, I The moment they said, they're, they kept saying, there will be an Indy 4, there won't be an Indy 4. They kept going back and forth. I remember it was, you know, um, it was, uh, the screenplay was once called Indiana Jones and the Saucer Men from Mars. I know Jeb Stewart, who did the screenplay for The Fugitive, 
took a pass at it. Uh, there were all these different, I, I remember reading all these different things in production. Yeah, the Frank Darabont script is legendary. Yes. Uh, which I downloaded back in 2008, and it was a much stronger script. It was a lot darker and a lot stronger. There's actually a really good YouTube video I just saw called uh, The Writing, The Making of Indiana Jones and King with Crystal Skull was a shit show. And it goes through each and every draft, and it debunks several that were internet r- rumors. Well, I'm going to talk about the shit show that John had to deal with because I'm telling you, uh, John, true or not true, I remember that during the production, Ain't It Cool News had a whole bunch of production stuff, uh, character designs, parts of the script and everything leaked to them. And Harry Knowles uh, from Ain't It Cool decided not to run it and said, okay, we're not going to give all this information out to you know to the public, which is something that Anna Cool News was known for. And then I believe Spielberg and the crew, you guys rewarded them for not doing that. You remember that? Vaguely, I remember. I remember. I remember uh, having to sit in the same room with Harry Knowles in in two thousand eight, and it was very uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 But we're talking fifteen years ago. Elliot, come on. No, I know. It's just that to me, though. It's just. I mean, there were so um, many things. Playing. No, I think. I think that 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 one of the, one of the challenges we had was the fact that, from a production standpoint, uh, from a production and 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 what you see on the screen, um, this this was an example of 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 Lucasfilm controlling. This is Lucasfilm pre Disney, so Lucasfilm controlling every single thing that happens with Star Wars. Every single thing we knew, everything that was happening with that, with those films, with with the brand, uh, everything that was on George's mind. I mean, we we had complete control over Star Wars, and when it came to Indiana Jones, as I mentioned earlier, the the, the general the general direction we were given is this is Steven's film. Do whatever they want to do. And so we suddenly found ourselves in a position of, uh, for example, not having tight control over everything that 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 has to do with the film. It's going to go through um, through through several different layers and several different production L- uh, entities uh, before um, before it even gets to us. So uh, it, it was it was a little fraught. But I, I think one of the more interesting things to me was the fact that. Um, in 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 2005, after we did uh, uh, episode three, um, we kind of didn't know what was happening at Lucasfilm. Um, there 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 was there was there was discussion about the possibility of starting up something in animation. There was the idea of of maybe doing uh, more kind of offshoots. There was the idea of doing other films that George wanted to do and, 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 and red tails was coming up and, and not being a star Wars production company anymore. And, uh, we didn't know what was going on. I got shuffled around. I was, I was put into ILM for a while. I was, uh, put onto, uh, the force, uh, awakens, uh, the force unleashed video game. Um, and, and then all of a sudden, seemingly all of a sudden out of the blue to all of us, we got the word that we were going to start working on Indiana Jones. And, um, you know, that happened in 2006 and we were all kind of um, largely in the dark. So um, 
uh, you talk about production stills and production photos and, and materials and things like that. Um, I remember sitting on uh, the floor in a certain uh, film director's office in here in LA and uh, just pouring through um, reams and reams and reams and reams of printouts of images uh, from the film and, and going through with um, uh, some of the folks at Amblin and, and, and kind of marking down the ones that we wanted. And then those would go to George and then those would go to, to Harrison Ford. And then they would go to Steven and out of the ones that George approved and the subset that Harrison had approved, we got maybe, you know, let's say 50 photos that we all liked and that everybody was cool with. And then we got them to Steven and we were given two. And so we had to open this film officially with wow. two images uh, to use uh, to, to showcase what the film was supposed to be. And I think that that's the sort of thing that um, I have no idea how it was done with previous Indiana Jones films, but from a consumer standpoint, that was really difficult because we weren't able to convey any of the scope or ideas of the film. We weren't able to share with people what they were going to see and what they were going to feel. Um, it was the trailer, which was very limited. It was a couple of images and those were the materials we had to go out with. And um, that, that was a big challenge. There was also a bit of a pall, if you had a bit of a pall cast over <laughs> the film when I wasn't, uh, John, correct me if I'm wrong. I was at San Diego Comic-Con the year they announced, when they had the big presentation when Spielberg, they had the, uh, they couldn't be Spielberg, Ford, Shia LaBeouf, they couldn't be at San Diego Comic-Con because they were on, in production at Indiana Jones. And they were in Hall H. And in Hall H, they had the big screen where they brought out Ford, Spielberg. They introduced, um, you know, Karen Allen coming back. They introduced um, um, Mac. I forgot the name. The Roy, Roy Win Ray, Ray, Ray Winston. Yeah. Ray Winston, who played Mac, and, um, and Shia LaBeouf. Right before that whole thing happened, though, <laughs> there was an incident in Hall H. <laughs> Where if you go to San Diego Comic Con and you want to be in and in a particular panel, good luck if you just show up for that panel. You essentially got to go to the panel like one or two panels before, especially if it's in Hall H, and you got to find your seat and you got to sit through the previous. I, I sat through the Planet of the Apes panel, so I could be. I forgot what the panel was that I was hanging out for. Um, to sit through to get to the panel you want, and I guess. When somebody really wanted to be in Hall H for this, for the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull uh, panel, uh, they, someone didn't want to give up their seat. Somebody else wanted said seat. And then what would later be called Pencil Gate took place. <laughs> you remember that, John? <laughs> uh, you, you tell the stories way better than I ever could. So uh, remind everybody what happened. Uh, for Dave and Tom, who might not know, uh, if you've never been to San Diego Comic-Con, people get kind of testy from yeah. time to time. Mm -hmm. um, and Hall H is like this huge, you know, um, 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 auditorium. That's where they have the big presentations. You go in and that's whenever, like, this is before they were doing things like streaming them live on YouTube, stuff like that. If you really wanted to see it, when it happened, you had to be in the room. Well, uh, apparently 
Someone had a good seat. Someone else wanted that seat. The person who had the seat wouldn't give it up. The person who wanted the seat stabbed that person in the eye with a pencil. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, that's in, in sincerity, though, that 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 is the kind of of, of excitement that a certain fan base had for this film. And I think that, well, no, and I think it's, it's, it was a big fan base. Uh, there was a lot of, there was a lot of excitement about this film, what it was going to be, what, you know, a, a lot of interest. Um, I think that the fact that Steven Spielberg holds his, keeps his film so secretive, holds them so tightly, um, makes everybody clamor to get as much information as they can. And, uh, the, the, the very easy thing to do from a marketing and PR standpoint is to mistake that sort of um, spe specific sort of fan base with the generalized fan base. And, 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 and I think that there was so much kind of what we call today fan service going on that there was, there was not enough energy left over to, to, to push the, the idea of what Indiana Jones was out to kids and teenagers who had no idea what Indiana Jones was. I mean, to me, it's just, I always say, you know, John and John Clark and I, we have this conversation all the time. It's like, it, it, and, and many indie fans will say this, that Indiana Jones is like the redheaded stepchild of Lucasfilm yeah. and all the attention is on star Wars. Star Wars gets, you know, uh, you know, all the great, promotion there's all the ip yeah. out there and i know it's a it, the ip makes a lot of money I, I don't necessarily think that's fair or was fair back when i was there because you know again disney bought it and everything changed right. so um uh the the, the, the every, every kind of guiding concept we had at, at lucasfilm is, is is i don't think exists anymore but the, the i don't think it's the redheaded stepchild or was the redheaded stepchild i think the problem was that we didn't own all of the rights to Indiana Jones. Um, we, uh, we didn't control everything that happened with Indiana Jones. Um, unlike Star Wars, where the, 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 everybody who is involved in a Star Wars movie basically sells their rights to everything, to their image, to uh, their clips, to, their, to, their, to, to, to everything that they've done in the film. Um, and, and we can use it, the music, we can, we can use it all um, in service of Star Wars or anything related to Star Wars. Um, the, the, the rights to Indiana Jones were much, much, much more limited. And uh, I remember having a very long, large group meeting with our, our, our head of legal back in about 2006. Uh, when we were launching on on Indiana Jones, basically to tell us here's here's why this is going to be very different than everything you've been doing, and all of the things that you can do without having to get approvals on, without having to get uh, uh, talent to sign off on, you can't do with Indiana Jones. And so that made for I think for the last forty years, that's made for a very different sort of brand management. 
of Indiana Jones than it did with Star Wars or now with the MCU, where there's a, a, a broader kind of um, uh, awareness of those rights. I mean, those the, the, they were not baked into um, the concepts of the film from the beginning, and that meant that uh, there wasn't as much flexibility to, to keep Indiana Jones in the public eye uh, you know, between 1989 and, and, and 2008. Yeah, that's re really interesting, John, because I pulled out the 2008 figure line, Yeah, um, you know, segueing into where their toys, they did the three and three quarter, and they did a ton of them. They did a lot yeah. of figures at, yeah. at a very short clip. But if you look at the Crystal Skull figures, there is, uh, there is a few Indiana Jones, there's a few Mutt Williams, yeah, and there's uh, Spalco, and then some Russians. That's it. There's no Mac. There's no Ox. There's no Marion. Uh, you know, major major characters in this, and I, it makes me wonder: was it because of that? Not was it like this rights mixed in oh. with Spielberg keeping things so tightly that that licensors like Hasbro. I, I, I think there was a lot of the latter going on. No. I think there was a lot of um, my understanding because I've, I've worked with a lot of licensees um, since I left Lucasfilm. I've worked with a lot of licensees that, that, that worked with Disney and Lucas and, and they would tell me that, that one of the problems was um, just getting the reference material. And when you have a film that is, that is so secretive that, that, that they're so paranoid about, about anything getting out that, that, that the, the amount of reference material they tend to give the licensees is exceedingly small. So they have only a couple of character shots to reference from. They don't know how the character acts or behaves in the movie, so they don't know how they can create games or toys or, 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 or puzzles or anything, T-shirts that, that depict the characters in action because they're not told what the characters are going to be. So um, this this becomes a really 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 difficult uh, you know line I think to straddle. Um, I'm not a licensing expert. This is just my understanding of it, and I think that that um, you know even if you look, I'm 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 holding in my hand this 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 uh, kind of old fashioned now digital press kit that we went out with, and and we see the 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 kind of um, key set as they call it that they went out with for Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and it's really limited. I mean, it tells you nothing about the film itself. Um, it gives away none of the secrets, shows none of the visual effects. Um, it's basically just character poses and and a few and a few other shots, and um, that's hard. And I think I think that one of the ways I think what we're seeing with Dial of Destiny is that they are combating that to a degree. Um, it seems like it seems like um, the, the 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 materials that I've seen are much more robust, share a lot more, and and I think that in that sense, potentially they're setting they're setting things up for a little bit more success. But certainly with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, it was it was it was challenging, and um, I remember having the particularly difficult problem of. Um, Knowing that we had the Crystal Skull, we had the Nazca lines, we had uh, the, the travel to these places, we had some of these supernatural elements. We knew we we knew internally that there was Area Fifty One, that 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 it was going to involve Roswell, and 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 we only read the script 
very last minute, uh, long after we'd started working on this. But it turns out that in the film, most of those things don't really even factor into it. There's shots of the Nazca lines. There's a real quick reference to the Nazca lines. The crystal skull that's in the movie has no resemblance to the crystal skull in the National Museum. Uh, you know, the, the, the real legends of the crystal skull. Um, uh, the, 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 the places that they go, like uh, Iguazu Falls, are, 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 are really just kind of quickly shown. It's not like Egypt in the first film or, or India in the second film where they play, where, where that is the place where the films, uh, that, that is the place where the films take place. It's, it's very kind of just lightly dusted over. So in the end, I felt like it was hard to convey anything about what people were going to see in the film because none of it really gets dealt with in the movie. It's all just kind of there as almost set up, right? Right. Yeah, there there were characters. I remember the blow dart characters with the mm. skull masks. They were a big deal. They were in their first wave of figures. And I remember being in the theater when that came up and I was like, okay, this is a major set piece because they've made these characters. And it's it's over in about 90 seconds. Yeah. They're not even the same characters who show up later in the movie. Like it's it's not like it's not like the Brotherhood of the Cruciform Sword from um uh from Last Crusade where, oh, where you get yeah. the setup and then you get the 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 a later payoff. They're just two completely different sets of similar looking antagonists that mm -hmm. that don't even have we, do, we don't even know actually who these people are they're just random people who attack indian and mutt in this movie well i will say if you're talking about a character that gets a lot of publicity and uh action figure and has very little screen time i'm going to point to darth maul so that even happens. With well, Star yeah. Wars. Well, there's a lot of there's. Uh, we should talk Apparently about. Apparently, you can point to Michael Keaton's Batman in the Flash movie. Well, I mean, no. look, at, look at Boba Fett. I mean, in the well, Flash yeah, movie, that's the right? I mean, yeah, in, in in Empire Strikes Back. So I don't think that that I don't think that the screen time is what matters as much as the impact that the character yeah. has and the ability to kind of um, kind kind of it's a terrible word but but it's, it's it's the word that's used exploit that in a way that that builds that builds excitement for it and i don't i just feel like i just feel like we were never able to latch on to anything for the film it was it all became at release time it became about um, as it is now doing can about harrison ford about uh about shia labeouf about uh karen allen returning about the, the talent and that's great and they were all uh, by the way amazing to work with and they were all uh all of them and i mean this sincerely surprisingly easy to work with um and and uh i think that there was a lot of goodwill built up toward this movie but in the end um, a movie has to sell itself. And, um, you know, I, again, I think you're seeing that with Dial of Destiny, too, is that in the end, the movie has to stand on its own. And um, once you once you pay your money and sit in the theater, um, you're handing yourself over to that movie, not to everything that has come before. Hmm. Right. And then the, the fan backlash afterwards, there's an entire South Park episode about it. <laughs> like, like through two months later. Yeah. I will say though, I kind of like, I, I, I understand. I know. Again, I'm not going to say that the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is a perfect indie film, 
but I will say, I will say it doesn't break any of the rules. Um, I have referred to like a David and I, you know, when we talk about the, the James Bond films and we reviewed Moonraker, I would say, oh, Moonraker is the kingdom of the crystal skull of Bond films. <laughs> whereas uh, kingdom of the crystal skull is the, is the Moonraker of indie films. It seems like so many people want to remember it and saying that it's an abomination and how could they do this? And yet they forget it. It's not like the film itself breaks any of the established rules within the franchise. Moonraker. Yes. Bond goes into space, but it's nothing more outrageous than anything he's done before. And the way it happens actually makes sense. And the big payoff at the end is really cool. And it's just bond to the next level. And, and, um, incredibly, when I watch Moonraker, I actually like it more the more I see it. Same goes with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Maybe I'm just a lot more forgiving. Maybe it's because I am so starved for Indiana Jones content. Because I remember <laughs> even when I walked out of the theater after seeing it, I was like, okay, wasn't the best movie? But now I know what Indy was up to after World War II. Yeah, but it's it's the it's the it is it really is the Phantom Menace syndrome of like that. I'm not sure I like that. I have to see it six more times to decide that I hate it. Right? There, there's, um, there's so much. There's so much in this movie that 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 we bring up Phantom Menace. This is perfect because I kept thinking that while watching this on rewatch, is that there are so many. It's so similar to a lot of those Star Wars prequels in the sense that you can absolutely see where there's that there's a nugget of a really good idea that maybe isn't quite paying off the way it did in the original. Like, like, like a lot of this stuff of like, okay, Indy's do, he was doing this after world war two and he made these friends along the way and da, 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 da. And he has a, a son that he didn't know about, but that the, the dynamic between him and Mutt and Karen Allen. Great. You can see that, 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 idea someone put that idea down on a piece of paper and it sounded like a good idea a lot like when i rewatched phantom menace again after however probably a decade between my last viewing of it and i could see yes that sounds like a good idea but something got missed in the translation along the way that didn't quite pull it off for other people you know what it gave me a, a reunion of harrison ford and neil flynn in the in the very in like the first uh, twenty minutes, I I love seeing Neil Flynn and Harrison Ford together. There's just something it warms the cockles of my heart whenever they share a screen. You know, for those who don't know, Neil Flynn uh, was opposite Harrison Ford in The Fugitive. Plays a Chicago cop who confronts him on the on the subway train. Uh, of course, plays an FBI agent or I don't know if a federal agent of some kind in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And then will appear again as a patient of Paul, the, the psychiatrist that Harrison Ford plays in Shrinking. Um, and there is a DNA of Raiders, te uh, uh, Temple of Doom, and uh, Last Crusade all over this film. You can say they're pulling all these different elements from all three films, kind of making a stew of all those things in here. Is it perfect? No. But again, to me, it doesn't violate the, the, it doesn't violate the character of Indiana Jones like they uh, they assert on that episode of South Park, which I have seen. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I enjoy this film because it's another one. 
It's like you don't get very many Indiana Jones films. Yeah. So you don't have enough to discount any of them. You know, like I, there's enough MCU films that I don't have to watch Thor The Dark World or Quantumania again or Eternals. But there's only there's only five Indiana Jones films. So there's a reason to watch every one of them. And they're all entertaining to some degree. You know, and this is entertaining to some. I will say I have watched the first half hour of this film probably three times as many times as I finished the films. I agree with everyone else. The Area 51 stuff is really, really fun. As you know, Elliot, I bought the sideshow figure with the fridge that you can put inside a big fridge. That was not cheap. <laughs> uh, I do enjoy this. I'm not going to say this is, you know, this is not Batman and Robin. This is not Star Trek Into Darkness. But it, it you're, but it is a weak entry. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's, yeah, John, I know you've 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 tried a couple times to jump in, so I'll let you go. No, no, I I I I um, I think that's uh, it's an interesting assessment. But I, I to me, I think that that the the core difference between Star Wars or even Bond is that is and and I think it is a little bit more like Bond. And of course, we all know that that Indiana Jones was designed as as you know. Uh, Bond, but even better, um, is that all we really want to see him do is is another adventure. And I, I don't know that. I, I think I think in a lot of ways this this movie gets bogged down in in trying to feel like it needs to um, be part of a bigger story rather than just give us a new Indiana Jones adventure. It's one of the reasons I love uh, Temple of Doom. And, and, and don't care as much about, about Last Crusade is because Temple of Doom stood apart from Raiders of the Lost Ark. They're, they're two separate films that don't really have anything to do with each other except that they both involve Indiana Jones, right? And, and I think that when you start getting into uh, Mutt and Marion and the relationship and, and, and what happened to, uh, uh, now I'm forgetting his name, uh, the, the Denim Elliott character. Um, Brody. Brody. Yeah, uh, Marcus Brody. Yeah, uh, you know what what happened to him, and who's his spiritual successor, and 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 what's the relationship between Indiana Jones and Oxley, and and you guys hit it. You know what happened to Indiana Jones during um, World War Two. I, I think that a, a a really important part of the fan base cares about that, but I think the the part of the fan base that cares about that is going to come out and see a new Indiana Jones, no matter what you do. They're there on day one, no matter what. The question is, what about all those other people who don't care about any of that, who didn't keep up with us, who haven't seen an Indiana Jones film, haven't even watched it on DVD since the last one came out. Um, but yeah, they'd like to go. And uh, there, I don't. I don't think that this movie services that kind of need for them. It's not. It 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 starts feeling like an Indiana Jones obligation rather than an Indiana Jones adventure. John, thinking about the fact that now Disney owns, you know, the IP, they've made this big push like oh now you can see all the indiana jones movies on disney plus they have all the uh, young indiana jones adventures on disney plus which by the way another 
reason why I like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is because it actually references the young Indiana Jones adventures. Yes. Thank you, sir. So, yeah. Uh, j- I, can I interject on a second? I, I do have a very specific and very dorky critique on that particular thing. Um, okay. Writing with Pancho Villa. Pancho Villa primarily operated out of northern Chihuahua, out of the northern provinces in uh, in Mexico. I think Chihuahua was his base of operations. Does anyone have any idea how freaking far that is away from central Peru in terms of an indigenous language traveling that far from Peru over the mountains? Ask Simone Bolivar how hard it is to get out of those mountains just to get in from Peru to Colombia. It's really hard. The distance there is completely insane. Then I understand you're only talking about three guys, but for crying out loud, like, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> I need, I need the, I need that um, Revenge of the Nerds soundbite. Uh, I, I, I need to play the YouTube clip of Harrison Ford talking to Jordan Schlansky on Conan. <laughs> Where he just goes, who gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> it's dumb, but rewatching it, it bothered me, and I needed to get it out. Wow! I will say, I've never finished the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. I bought all the DVDs, which they released in preparation for Crystal Skull, and I was so excited to buy them because it hadn't been rerun in so long, and I was like, I can finally watch this entire series. I never finished them. I probably watched eight out of this year. And now they're on Disney plus. And I know I'm not going to finish them as yep. much as I love Indiana Jones. There's, you know, that's a deep, that show is a deep, deep cut, but uh, yeah, it is. It is. And we were, we were tasked with um, uh, this, this was, this was a directive directly from George and, and we failed miserably. We were, we were tasked with trying to get school districts to um, adopt the young Indiana Jones Chronicles into their history curricula. And uh, that proved to be at an impossible task. Um, and it was awful to have to tell them that all the time, but no, I mean, nobody, nobody cared about Indiana, young Indiana Jones when it came out and nobody cared about young Indiana, Indiana Jones later. And I'm sure they don't really, aren't really lining up to watch young Indiana Jones now, although some of them are good. Some of them are good. Um, and, uh, you know, but, but also the concept is, is taken care of in the first 15 minutes of, uh, of the last crusade. So, yeah, which uh, is the inspiration. But I also think that underscores Harrison Ford's famous quote, when I'm gone, he's gone. You know, that's the existence of that show proves that audiences don't accept Indiana. I don't, I see. I, I, I would argue with that. I think the reason that that is the case is because they, they didn't in 1989, uh, make an, they didn't make another one in 1992 with a new actor. And they, they, they very well could have. I mean, we've seen it with, with James Bond. They, they recast him over and over and over. We've seen it with Batman. They recast him over and over and over. And people accept it. And uh, we, they, 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 there, there was a decision made, whether, whether it, was, it was intentional or just happenstance, to tie Harrison Ford with this character. And so it limits uh your ability to see indiana jones in adventures i think another issue too with you know 
young Indiana Jones. Again, I really followed that during production. And as it was going, every, we know that uh, young Indiana Jones was very much like Doctor Who. It was created to serve an educational purpose, to give young viewers um, um, a look into history. And I know, uh, I know uh, Lucas wanted to eventually take all the episodes of young Indiana Jones, make them into, like, like you said, John, into films that could be incorporated into um, school curriculums. The, the problem with that would be, obviously, if you're taking historical, if you're taking a little dramatic license with history, you, you're trying to kind of like present a certain. Oh, point there, were, there were a ton. There were a ton. There were a ton of problems with it. We discovered, yeah. but yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> but also I mean, compar- comparing it to Doctor Who, that's how it started, and then they threw in the Daleks, and they just went, ah, fuck it. Yeah, no, they did. <laughs> and now, now when they go back in time, when when I was first started watching. Uh, Doctor Who with Christopher Eggs this season, and he went back to meet Charles Dickens. I was like, okay, so they have sci-fi episodes and historical episodes, and then there's immediately alien ghosts. I was like, oh no, they're all sci-fi, <laughs> and that was the lesson that Indiana Jones didn't take from Doctor Who. It's like people don't want the history lesson; people wanted the the action and adventure. And I, I do think that that is that is looking back, kind of. The, the big warning sign about what the future of Indiana Jones might be is that is that uh, unlike uh, you know Star Wars coming to TV people didn't respond to it um, they, they, they 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 put this out there and the answer was kind of just a collective sense of uh, disinterest from from the public and I think that part of that was the finality with which uh, Last Crusade ended mm-hmm. that that the, the, the Last Crusade was was the end and I think that 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 maybe the most magnanimous thing you can say about about Crystal Skull particularly is that in the scheme of things it's it's unnecessary it, Yeah it, I was just thinking that when I was watching it was uh, up until Dial of Destiny was announced this was the modern Indiana Jones. We got one modern Indiana Jones. And as I was watching it this time, I was like, well, now we know we have a final Indiana Jones where he's older and we have the classic trilogy when he was young. So what is, what purpose does this movie serve? And granted, none of us have seen Dial of Destiny. We don't know how closely it'll tie, it'll tie in, but it almost seems like you could jump from Last Crusade to Dial of Destiny at this point. It's just really hard, though, to have a shot of your main actor your main character right literally riding off into the sunset and then say oh yeah we're gonna bring him back and i i i i think that that also that's that's one of the problems to me with 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 kingdom of the crystal skull is that when you when even if you buy into it even if you're okay with 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 seeing him again even if you think okay it's not over um you get to the end of this movie and it's just kind of a collective sense that we had when we went to that party that I told you about of hmm. what the, why did, why did I just watch this? What is, what is the point? I well, mean, it's like Friday the 13th, the final chapter is the midpoint in that series. <laughs> and that's the last time anybody took it seriously. But I mean, nothing happens at the end of Crystal Skull. Literally, like nothing of significance happens. It turns Indiana Jones. If we talk about Indiana Jones, there's a whole school of thought that Indiana Jones is a passive character in the first Raiders of the Lost Ark. But by in the last 25 minutes of this movie, he does nothing. He literally just stands there and stares. And so 
what what do you what do you say when your hero has nothing to do at the end of the film? Okay, so can I tell you another great thing for me? Why I like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull so much? It gave me an opportunity to buy these Indiana Jones uh, popcorn boxes. Okay, I got these babies on clearance at at Blockbuster Video. Okay, everyone, Ooh, everyone remember Blockbuster? That, that tag makes them worth more than the popcorn. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, look at that Blockbuster, Blockbuster Video. Wow, yeah. you should have sold that to Netflix when you had the chance. <laughs> Randall Park could have held it up. <laughs> so again, yeah, um, I, I agree. The fact bring the fact that there was another movie brought the brand back, and and John, as you were saying, a lot of the focus on the merchandise was Raiders. You know, they, a lot of it was like, "Don't you love that first movie?" And everybody, that's out of that's yeah. out of necessity for the licensing program because they didn't have anything to work with. If you're not giving them anything from the new film to work with, all they have is character uh, character poses and character reference uh, material from the first two films, first three films. So that's right. all they can do. Right. Yeah, but there was a lot of reissue of like the Raiders poster on a T-shirt, and half of the figure line were Raiders. Uh, you know, by the time they got to Temple of Doom and Last Crusade, the line was already over. But there was a lot of like, we're bringing back the whole thing. And Ellie, to your point, it was the chance to buy them. And I, I said said it in 2008, and I've been saying it, uh, especially to you. Uh, I'm going to get everything they're putting out now because next year there will be nothing. <laughs> and and they are, they've re-released the, the original trilogy. The, it, it, you know, uh, uh, well, Raiders, I know they've been re-releasing in theaters. I've been seeing a lot of folks on yeah. the indie boards taking their kids to see Raiders, 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 Raiders. They've been really in in, in individual theaters. Not, yeah, and not that's not a new thing not because there's a big national re-release like they just right. did with uh, uh, Return of the Jedi. Which right, I you know I saw Raiders. Raiders was the first pandemic movie I saw when uh, when the, the theater chains opened back up. They showed classic movies and they showed Raiders. Last Crusade I saw on Father's Day uh, about three years ago because they the movies are in circulation, so it's it's not like it's not like Disney put them in a vault, but but having a new movie puts more of a spotlight back on. But I I, I think uh, one of the real challenges that Disney has with this movie is that um, um, I, you know as Disney goes through its own um, uh, business. Uh, issues and laying people off, especially at the studios. Um, and uh, it, but it also had Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. It had Little Mermaid. Uh, it has Elemental, which is failing right now. Um, uh, Not as well as Flash. Yeah. What else is it, Disney has something else out there? I think now. I mean, Disney's still pushing Disney Plus. And, 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 and so then they're trying to also do. Indiana Jones, and it, there's there's just they're just stretching so thin that nothing really gets the time or attention to be able to stand out as the must see film of the summer. And right. I think that that's the real frustration level that I have with this 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 per current campaign is that um, I'm really not hearing that much about it. Well, all I know is that the local PR folks here in Chicago invited Nick DiGiulio to see the film uh, last week and did not invite me. Okay, change.org. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right now, right now. I'm going to start that. Yeah. Thank you. Because Nick, I'm telling you, he hates everything. And he hated Dial of Destiny. 
Now, if I had been invited, I would have been a much uh, more forgiving on my social media. So mm. you, you don't know until you've seen it. You got to go in with an open mind. What can I tell you something? The, the only thing that this movie can do to make me mad at it is kill Indy at the end. I've said it. I'll say it again. If Indy dies at the end, then I'll be like, screw it. I'm not going to buy this movie on DVD. I'm not going to watch it on Disney+. Plus. I don't want to see it. That's why I don't want I. I have yet to watch The Last Jedi again. I don't want to see it. I'm done with that. Okay? So, and I was just, oh my God, I was just watching a, a clips from uh, Ford Ford versus Ferrari, another James Mangold film. And when freaking Christian Bale dies at the end of that, I'm like, oh my God, Indy's going to die at the end of this, isn't he? Mangold is all his hero. I didn't know Christian Bale died at the end of it because I didn't finish it. So thanks. Uh, <laughs> Second, why did James Mangold make a movie called Ford versus Ferrari that didn't have Harrison Ford? Because I want to see Harrison Ford punch a Ferrari. Well, it had it had had Matt Damon, Matt Damon, and damn Ferraris in my driveway. Yeah. But anyway, that's the only thing that's going to make me piss, pissy about that movie. And I'm sorry, folks. Uh, my uh, I love the folks that I've gotten invites to Mission Impossible, Spider Man, uh, even Transformers. Indiana Jones is the only one that I got passed on. Yeah, you should have gone to Spider-Man, though. It was good. I should have, yes. I yeah, it's really good. All right. <clears throat> John, you've been so generous with your time, and I don't want to monopolize it. So let's bring this in. Let's bring this boat in uh, to the dock and go with our last few wrap-ups about um, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I want to lead off with Dave, who's been fairly silent through most of the show. I've just been taking it all in for the last half hour or so. <laughs> it's like, remember when we were doing Shake and Not Heard? I listened to you talk about Bond, yeah. Bond, Bond. I just took it all in. And now it's like the other way. You're you're taking in the indie stuff now. Well, as a Bond expert, let me ask you, Dave. Do you think Indiana Jones could have withstood a, 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 a recasting of its lead character? Um. I think so. I think after one of the problems is talking about the long, not hate hiatus, but um, span time span between Last Crusade and, and Crystal Skull, where you know if they did a new one, then I wonder if you just have to sort of like reboot it, like with the Bond films, you've had the occasional you know, five or six year gap, which is sort of an anomaly, but they've, they've come out at fairly regular intervals over the last 60 years. And, you know, it was a gamble when they, when they did recast Connery, because there was, there was no precedent for knowing whether or not the series could succeed with other actors. And then now we've had five other ones since then. And we know the answer is yes. But I think at that point with Crystal Skull being near 20 years after Last Crusade, you know, the character was just so synonymous with with Harrison Ford and no one else. Um, I don't know if audiences would have accepted a different actor at that point, but maybe if there's a fourth film like in the early '90s with someone else, uh, maybe then uh, you know it's hard to know for sure. I think another maybe a question to throw back at you guys is then who could potentially have been the the successor to Harrison Ford. Like an established actor, because I, you know, I mean, maybe in an alternate history they would have gone with an unknown, like they've traditionally done with Bond. They've never gotten like really big name actors. That's why it's never going to be 
Idris Elba or or Tom Hardy or Henry Cable. It's going to be somebody none of us really know or are aware of. But if they had gotten a somewhat known person for a fourth indie movie in like the early to mid nineties, who do you think they could have gone with? They did, and his name is Brendan Fraser. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, because if you think about what the what the mummy is, what the mummy did in in nineteen ninety nine, that's that's basically your indie character. Yes, yeah. in to to one extent or another, and that's if if you were going to do it that would have been it is you would have gotten, you know, in like 1996 or 1997, you hire Brendan Fraser to play Indiana Jones. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's really interesting because you also, I mean, the mummy also takes place in the 1930s, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, so, it's, so yeah. you know, the thing that the thing that the first trilogy of Indiana Jones films have in common with the mummy is that they're all set in the 1930s. And I think that that time jump, um, in 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 Crystal Skull is what really jars a lot of people, and 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 now they have to do it again, and trying to keep Indiana Jones up with the times because they can't age him in that and keep him in the 30s. So the question is, what would happen if you brought in another actor, i.e., Brendan Fraser, and 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 doing the Mummy and calling it an Indiana Jones film, right? I mean, you, if you tweak a few things and you just call it Indiana Jones and the Legend of Imhotep. It's not a terrible movie. Like you, you. I mean, in terms of, uh, you wouldn't have to do too much of a workaround to sold I mean, tickets sold sold. <laughs> in, in Indiana Jones and the Curse of the Mummy, boom. Yeah, that, yeah. You, have, you have that old Universal Studios feel and and indie oh, thing. Man. It's got the pulp, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, independent of independent of the actual mummy movie that we got that's actually kind of one that that's actually a film that i would but we talked about like uh the the whole intellectual property thing like trying to negotiate that with universal studios lawyers at the time i'm sure would have been an absolute nightmare but yeah. something like that movie for a new indiana jones movie in like 1990 1998 that's a movie i might want to see like you you might you might be able to pull that off I think Dave is right on there's a specific window. And by the time that you got to 2004, 2005, that that window had kind of shut and you were kind of. Also, I'm pretty sure that you'd never want to be the person to tell Harrison Ford that he's not playing Indiana Jones anymore. Well, he has to, he has to willingly hang up that hat. But I think you also have to be willing to take a lot of risk, too. I think, uh, as, you know you have to go through a couple of, of, of missteps, uh, be, uh, be willing to do that. The you way that, your the George Lazen piece. Yeah. Yeah. I've always said that, uh, Indiana Jones is the one you can't do because Bond and Batman were adaptations of a print character. So the act, the first actor to play those characters never originated that character. And Indiana Jones, the first time you see him, it's Harrison Ford in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And that was my rule until JJ Abrams made a Star Trek and Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto, played William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy's roles. So I can't stand by that hard and fast rule. I think what it comes down to for me when I think about it is like, I don't want another guy to be Indiana Jones. I'd rather, I'd rather there be an animated series. That's not a human being. That's a stylized version of Harrison Ford. Oh, I always, I always thought that could have, would have been a perfect Jenny Tartakovsky series on Cartoon Network. Um, but, but even then I would want it to be based on that Harrison Ford look because his charm 
is so much of a key of that character. There's so much of this character that would be unlikable. You know, had Tom Selleck made Raiders of the Lost Ark, probably wouldn't be my favorite movie. I would think it's a great movie, but his personality is so key that I think it's it's very, very intimidating. I, I think you only get Chris Pine outdoing William Shatner once in a generation. <laughs> and you had Joaquin Phoenix and and who came as close as anybody, but he's still in Last Crusade. He never feels River, like River, he River is Harrison Ford. He feels like Joaquin Phoenix doing a Harrison Ford impression and doing a good job. Mean River Phoenix. River, River Phoenix. Phoenix. Yeah, Joaquin Phoenix would have then shot at Robert De Niro in the middle of the train. <laughs> <laughs> Although, Joaquin, that'd be interesting. Joaquin has proven to be an inter- a really good actor himself. He's come a long way since Gladiator. He would have been, like, if we were talking about our fictional late 90s Indiana Jones movie, he would have been a great villain for that movie. Yeah, Leslie Nielsen. Not... <laughs> Did you say Leslie Nielsen? Leslie Nielsen. <laughs> <laughs> no, you just get another Bond actor. You know, just gets bringing all the Bond actors. You know, <laughs> no, because the, the 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 issue came. That I remember. I remember pretty much. I remember why they didn't recast. Because Harris uh, Spielberg says if Harrison's not indie, I'm not doing it. Mm. Harrison said if if Spielberg's not directing i'm not doing it which he then went back on with mangold um and they all had to agree they all had to agree and then yeah why is it that you know that, that's you you encountered john and they all had to agree on things and that just slowed everything down just kept whittling down whittling down whittling down the options and i know there's a lot of compromise to get kingdom of the crystal skull made and you see it in the finished film it's a yeah. compromised movie. Yeah. Yeah, you can see it. You can see it. And and um and I and and there was so much doubt whether there whether there would be a fifth indie movie because but I was there going, look, Disney paid a lot of money for Lucasfilm and they wanted they wanted to do something with Indy. But remember, they didn't actually buy, they didn't actually get Indiana Jones in the Lucasfilm transaction. They well, had I, thought to, they, they, I thought they did get that. They had to buy that separately from Paramount. Okay. Um and in 2013. And um, they never did reveal how much they paid for it, but they had they had to go after the rights to Indiana Jones separately. And um, I think that that you know these are films in the end with that that really don't have an owner. They were they were they were um, conceived by George to be films for Stephen and released by Paramount and, um, you know, produced by Lucasfilm and, 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 and they, they end up without kind of a, 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 a real center of gravity uh, mm-hmm. around who is actually in charge and controlling them. And I think that's why you never saw, for example, in 30 years, 40 years, you've never seen, um, uh, Indiana Jones conventions or Indiana Jones fan events or, uh, you know, uh, Indiana Jones specials on TV and things like that, 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 that there, there just wasn't a consensus that this was something that, um, that, that anybody owned enough to, 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 to build consistently the way that the way that George and Lucasfilm did Star Wars and took such care with 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 building Star Wars and maintaining it, and then being able to bring it back the way it did. I had no idea Paramount had to say. I always assumed they had uh, as much to do with Indiana Jones as 20th Century Fox had to do with Star Wars. Um, but that's interesting. That that's yet another player in all of this. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Paramount was Paramount was 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 tremendously involved with Crystal Skull and 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 certainly Kathy Kennedy and Frank Marshall and and so you know you have you have you have producers, you have production companies, you have studios, you have directors, you have writers, you have talent, and um, uh, which is normal for a film, which is normal for every film. Um, but Star Wars kind of stands apart. And, and, and one of the questions I get a lot is like, why, why isn't Indiana Jones as big as Star Wars? And the answer is because it can't be. It can't really ever be managed the way that Star Wars was. And I, I think that, um, you know, we were able to bring a lot of passion, a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of, a lot of camaraderie to Star Wars. And, um, we wanted all of us really, really, really wanted to do the same with Indiana Jones, but um, ultimately there was nobody um, kind of to answer to. There was no, there was no single entity. You know, we couldn't, we couldn't send a note to George and say, "Do you want to do this?" It, the answer was, "I don't know." Ask Stephen, and 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 Stephen had to kind of ask. Kathy and Frank, and and then everybody had to run everything through Harrison, and that's there's no problem with that. I'm not saying that it was a bad way to do it. I'm saying that it just it just made for less cohesion and 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 less kind of vision and direction. And I think that may, maybe that's creatively what you see in 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 the final film. I guess that's what makes the the films, the indie films that are good, so good is because it. It does take a lot of that kind of lightning in the bottle where you have to get everything clicking at exactly the right time. And it's kind of a miracle that we have as many good indie films as we do have. I'm sorry, John, before we go, you have this really cool story having to do with Indiana Jones that you told me before. Can you share that with all of us about your, when you were starting off at Lucasfilm? I, I just, it tickles me, and I What's want to one? <laughs> about the Drew Struzan artwork. Oh, oh, god, yeah. Okay, so, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I got to Lucasfilm in 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 January of two thousand three, and in August two thousand two, um, the core team had moved from um, Skywalker Ranch what you call Skywalker Ranch proper, even though the whole thing was, to an area called Big Rock Ranch, which was just kind of over the ridge from 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 Skywalker and the main house and everything. And and uh, uh, so our building was brand new. And apparently it's a hotel now. And if you have a lot of money and have a corporate event, you can you can uh, uh, rent it. But um, beautiful, beautiful building, uh, crazy, right on a lake. It was, it was incredible. And um, so, a lot of the offices were, uh, they had built for growth and uh, there were probably too many offices. There were a lot of empty offices. And so when they showed me mine, it was nobody had ever been in it. Nobody ever used it. Uh, and um, they, they, within the first week, they brought me this big book, this big binder. And they said, um, uh, here's all the art that George has in his collection and you can choose anything you want out of here to go in, in your wall and you're allowed, you know, they would come in and go, you're allowed one, two, you're allowed two pieces of art. Right. So, um, and I don't remember what my second one was, but um, I chose one uh, that was uh, in the book. It looked like uh, the poster to uh, Indiana Jones and the temple of doom, the um, kind of, 
release poster with Indy and 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 uh, Willie Scott and Short Round and kind of the Drew Struzan look where he kind of you know brings all the characters together and. Um, and I thought that would be fun to have because I love Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and it means a lot to me. So a couple weeks later, they uh, they I, I got into work, and it had been hung right over my right over my my computer, and I was looking at it, and I realized that I could see um, all of the texture of the of the pencil marks that Drew Struzan had used to. Um, to, to draw it. I could see the erasure marks. I could see everything that was on there. And I realized that this was not kind of a lithograph of the art that Drew Struzan did, but this was actually the, the art that Drew Struzan drew himself uh, and painted and, 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 and colored uh, by hand to, to make the film. And in fact, uh, at one point he did come into the office and, and, uh, and, and people were showing him what they had and he came into my office and looked at it and he was like, wow, I, I remember doing that. Uh, so that, 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 was, that was really, really freaking amazing. And uh, I, then we moved in 2006, early 2006 and moved to uh, the Presidio and then they took it back and I never saw it again. So. <laughs> And because we and because and because we lived in the days of uh, before everybody carried a camera around in their pocket, uh, it never dawned on me to take a picture of it. Um, oh, yeah. Oh. Never once dawned on me that I should probably take a picture of what my office looked like and that painting and and yeah. Wow. A lot's changed since then. Yes. Well, John. Thank you so very much for everything that you've shared this evening. This has been a real pleasure for me. I know I've enjoyed it. I know I've enjoyed it. Well, thank you for letting me drone on. I appreciate it. If you want to come back for Dial of Destiny, um, you're welcome. <laughs> I'll let you guys do that one on your own. <laughs> <laughs> Before we all go, let's, of course, uh, share our social medias. Where can people find us? And uh, we'll lead off with you, John. Uh, I, you can, I'm, it says JJ Singh on Twitter, but I haven't been on Twitter since November. So it's the best I can do. I, I'm on Facebook, but I only have that for, you know, you guys, the three of you, four of you can. But wait, and, uh, but we do, we do want to follow your dog. Oh, oh, a, a dog called Walter at Instagram. A dog called Walter. Although I haven't, I haven't updated his lately either. He hasn't updated his lately. No, get, tell him to get on it, you know? Yeah. It, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Tom. Is he sleeping? Yeah. Uh, well, you can view uh, the Crystal Sour and all the cocktails I do for uh, Top Men and Indiana Jones podcast and the MC Re MCU Review uh, at Review Cocktails, R-E-V-U Cocktails on the Instagram app. Dave? I am on Instagram at Pinto underscore Noir. Why do we want to follow you? Uh, I usually post lots of photos of my little goblin of a dog. Uh, my cat might make an appearance as well, but it's mostly him. Mostly him. This exchange between the two of you is becoming like, Brain, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing <laughs> it's, it's literally a script now. <laughs> We've done it enough times. I have to do, I have to polish my Orson Welles. Uh, <laughs> Dave, Dave I, you, do you know what I'm thinking of, of? Let's see if I can get Dave to chime in before the end of this. Uh, on the, uh, on the uh, Jason and Steve broadcast, uh, 
nationwide on. is on your side. Right. There you go. Yeah. yeah, there I we go. I knew right where you were headed for there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's all lost on me. I didn't get any of that. John. <laughs> yeah. I'm at not on my book on Twitter or Instagram, but honestly, I'm that I'm down to lurking status. I haven't I don't post much, but I we do post on the the Caffeinated Comics Facebook page. That's probably the most active social media of the podcast. You go to facebook.com slash Caffeinated Comics, where we post things like that bizarre Craven trailer that came out today. Uh, and all the news is Fits Geek. And if you are watching this, you can subscribe to the audio feed of this podcast, which includes the MCU Review and Caffeinated Comics. We uh, did our tribute to Jaramita last night, which is audio only. So you can get all of the content by subscribing to the audio podcast, wherever you get podcasts. And of course you can find me at Elliot Serrano, two L's, two T's and two R's on all the socials, but you will, I maintain the top men uh, indie podcast uh, Instagram where I've just been posting all my toys, t-shirts, goodies and stuff. You'll find it on the Facebook page. And, um, you can also follow me on Facebook. I'm not really on Twitter. And uh, what? Oh, what do we have there, John? What are we pointing at? You, Elliot. Why? Yeah. Yes, because when uh, when John Singh and I first I got to know each other, of course, it's uh, Pete's Dragon. Everyone, Pete's Dragon is uh, Elliot. There. I'm still waiting on those. Uh, I'm still waiting on those uh, those uh, promotion kits, John. You. you oh crap. <laughs> Still waiting. <laughs> I can. Ah, see, there we go. And then all that stuff, I can share it on the and the in Top Men Indie podcast. Oh, by the way, for folks who are watching this, or if you're going to listen to this on the uh, audio podcast later, uh, we started off this this podcast. I gave away a copy of Raiders of the Lost Ark on Blu-ray. Um, that's how we started. Um, I'm going to have a special giveaway for when we uh, end with Dial of Destiny. I don't know what it's going to be yet. I had a lot of folks, they saw the uh, Fate of Atlantis pins. I have a bunch of Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis pins that uh, Lucasfilm Games um, issued years back. Um, I a lot of interest in those. I want to figure out a, a good way to give those away. If you see, if you check out the Top Men Indie Podcast Instagram, you can see all the things that we've got. Um if you want a pin, uh, come up with a good trade. I've already traded with Indie Gear and Tannis Raider. If you have a cool, uh, if you have something cool from Indiana Jones that I don't have, um, I'm I'm happy to trade with you. And um, and John, same thing. I don't know, John, you've got everything. So <laughs> anyway, thanks everyone for joining you us. German, you can have my German uh, uh, crystal skull poster. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yes. Uh, before we go, Susan, kid, Susan uh, chimed in. I'm curious about Marion. Marion and Mutt in the new film. Still married? Did Mutt go back to school? So many questions. I'm just going to tell you this. If you need to know the answers to that, read the review of Dial of Destiny that E uh, Entertainment Weekly did. They dropped a tremendous spoiler in the. Do you, very want, to Do you want to say it? Do you want to say it? I'm not. No, don't say it. Don't say it. All I'm saying is I was really pissed after I read that. So, But if you need to know, you can find it out there. But beyond that, when we come back, uh, we will be, of course, talking about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny and Indy's last adventure. Until next time, folks, for John Clark, Dave Pino, 
Thomas Jetner and John Singh. I'm Elliot Serrano. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again next time in our pursuit of fortune and glory. Good night.